Hi there, welcome to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me for the second episode. If you're interested in prospecting and lead generation and growing your business and uh, growing your sales effort, then I think this podcast will be really beneficial for you. I came across Callum Beecroft on LinkedIn. I had seen some of his work where he promotes the life out of his tele sales and telemarketing business and to the point where he records himself on calls and publishes that content on LinkedIn, the good, the bad and the ugly, and talks about why it was good, why it was bad and so on and so forth. His outlook is really, really refreshing. The energy he puts into his work is just brilliant. And he kind of demystifies um, uh, the work in a big way. But more importantly, he talks about it as a thriving art and not a dying art, which I find most refreshing given the conversations that I've been having with some businesses who seem to be... um, who seem to think it's obsolete and has been made obsolete as a result of social media and email marketing and so on and so forth. I got some other research and I'm going to share some other point. I don't really want to um, dilute the impact of this podcast. So without any further chat from me, here's Callum from Phonejacker. Callum, thanks very much for, for joining me in the podcast. Um, I had uh, stumbled across your content on LinkedIn and I was really inspired by the fact that you were talking so confidently um, and authoritatively about the the platform or the medium of uh, telemarketing and telesales. So can you just give me a bit of background and explain to people who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. This is my first podcast, so that's exciting, isn't it? Good man, um, yeah. But yeah, a little bit about me. Obviously, my name's, my name's Callum. Um, People may know me or may not uh, as the phone jacker. Um, I'm primarily quite active on LinkedIn. Um, so basically, clients hire me when they need someone to, to pick up the phone and prospect for new business, right? Um, often they're struggling to find someone to do that, or in some cases they have salespeople that do that, but they're just not very good. So perhaps they don't set enough meetings, or if they do, they often turn out to be a waste of time. So. They get me in to, to try and fix that. Um, I guess the, the short version of that is I'm a freelance sales development rep for hire. Okay, so um, we had talked just before we went kind of live. I've been working with a lot of um, customers, I still work with them, who are almost delighted when they say, I'm not doing telesales anymore. And it's with relief. And I think that's partly because they're probably not doing it right. Um, you don't see a problem with te- with tele sales or telemarketing at all. In fact, from the content that you're putting out on LinkedIn, it's like um, you're uh, enjoying a sort of a rare a rare vein of form. Well, yeah, it's a good point. I, I guess from my experience, most salespeople choose not to do prospecting because, or they say, sorry, they say prospecting cold calling doesn't work because it's an excuse, so they don't have to do it, right? Um, so that's one way of looking at it, but. Um, I guess less and less people are doing it. Um, I mean, when I started my sales career, I never picked up the phone and prospected. Um, I had to, I had to learn it. And obviously, the less people that are doing it, the more effective it is, right? So those that can do it well will see inevitably some success from it. Yeah, there's um, social media and digital channels seems to be put forward as the ideal replacement and you know it's that blue ocean and red ocean thing that 
if everybody's sending emails and doing social media, it's harder to stand out. And if you get the right contact details and you've got the confidence and the skill, then making the phone call is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess when you look at it like that, you have to ask yourself the question, how many emails or LinkedIn requests do decision makers typically get per week? I don't know the answer to that, but I imagine it's quite a lot, right? They probably don't have time to read them all, so I guess a lot of them go in the bin without even being opened. Um, and it's really hard to get their attention, right? But if you can pick up the phone and call a decision maker and have a conversation with them, like that's that's intimate, uh, instantly a one-to-one -one conversation is an intimate conversation, right? And you've got their attention. So from my point of view, I don't, there's, there's no really com real comparison between the effectiveness of email versus cold calling. It's just that the stigma around cold calling is quite negative. So a lot of people think that it doesn't work, but if you can do it well, then you've got, like I said, you've got a conversation with a decision maker there and then. So why wouldn't you do it? That would be the way I'd look at it. So you don't have uh, any stigma to it whatsoever. Um, and I'm suggesting and encouraging people to follow your stuff on LinkedIn and hopefully you'll get a few bumps after this, but you've got this real honesty about um, this awards and all approach. So you, you're recording yourself and you're publishing your recording on LinkedIn and you're going, God, that was a bad idea, wasn't it? Or I shouldn't have said that. And then you're talking about, um, you're giving away some really brilliant tips and um, I wouldn't say tricks, but tips and pointers for, for people. Why do you do that? Like, what, what, why do you, um, yeah, just why do you do that? It's a good question. Well, first and foremost, I'll take you back. First and foremost, I started, um, I went self-employed, I think around August, September last year. So about six, seven months ago, I think. Uh, and I, I wanted to use LinkedIn as a tool to, to attract new clients, right? That was primarily the, the reason for going on there and being active. Uh, and when I started out, I, do, I, I did a lot of writ, written, uh, written posts. Um, and in hindsight, a lot of them were quite bad. Um, and obviously, first time I'd done that, so it was a case of trying to get uh, good at kind of writing posts and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then I had a chat with a guy called Benjamin, who's actually the, the guy that I learned everything what I do from. Uh, I find him up and I just said, I'm really struggling with this LinkedIn stuff. Have you got any tips? And he just said, all you've got to do is start recording yourself making calls and post them out and like, you'll start getting some traction there. Um, and there's not a lot of, not necessarily sales trainers, but there's not a lot of people in the sales community that post mm -hmm. prospecting calls, right? So instantly it was one way to stand out. Um, and then the second thing was, as I said, the reason for me using LinkedIn was to try and attract new clients, right? So everything that I do in terms of the content that I post is basically to try and demonstrate that I know what I'm doing and that one, cold calling works, um, two, perhaps I'm good at it and maybe they want to consider hiring me. Um, and then I post a lot about kind of the funny stuff that happens as well because I think it's important for people to see that, that something that's dreaded by most salespeople can actually be quite fun um, and you can have fun with it which is kind of my nature anyway um, so i post those those uh, bits as well uh, and then i guess to answer your question around kind of the warts and all piece to it is it kind of stems from uh, i remember seeing i think it was a copywriter posted something ages ago and i remember seeing the, the post on linkedin and it was 
basically about um, obviously from a sales copywriting point of view that whenever you go onto a business or a company website the, the, the phrase that they use is that the, the company just wheezes all over the prospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is when you go onto these company websites, it's obviously like, we do this, and we're really good at that, and we work with so-and-so, we can help you do this. Um, and everyone's industry leading, everyone's experts, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I know that people don't believe it. They're, they're not stupid, right? So... Um, but everyone does it, so none of these businesses stand out at the end of the day. They're all doing the exact same thing, um, and it's obviously counterproductive. So I, that, because I know that, my approach is, well, prospects know that I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. Um, did because... It also shows that perhaps I'm someone that's quite like self-reflective um, and can learn from mistakes and is open and sharing uh, those on LinkedIn. Um, and it just shows kind of the true side of, of what it's like to prospect. And I guess the other thing as well is that anyone that does cold calling will know that the majority of calls end in a, in a no, right? Um, so it's important to show that side of what it's like to do the job, right? Not everything's going to work, no matter how good you are at it. So I just think it's important to share kind of every side of, of my job and what it's like to do what I do as well. Yeah, there's. I, I just make a note of um, something you said and tried to relate that to one of the, the way you make the call. And I know that from somebody who's sitting on the phone all day, them watching you, like you're taking them to the very edge of their fear, because they hate being recorded, they hate being under scrutiny, they don't want to talk about the bad calls, they only want to show off about the good stuff, and you're kind of going, it doesn't matter, it's a process, you've got to be, you know, refine the process, stick to the process, you become better at it, and you become kind of um, immune to the negativity, but not a lot of people become immune to the negativity, they just become fed up with the process. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's a couple of good points in there. I guess I, I've got a friend who does the same same thing as me, but he, he worked for a, a company doing it. Uh, and I think he's been doing it for maybe two and a half years now. And he doesn't listen back to his calls because he hates the sound of his own voice. And yeah. it, I mean, make it that way you will. But I was the same. Like, we, we were all the same, right? Like, I, when I was uh, first started listening back to my own calls, I hate the, the sound of my own voice. But the more I did it, the, the more numb I came to it anyway. Same with uh, recording myself. No one, no one was born kind of ready-made to, to uh, stand in front of a camera, right? So you, you yeah. just have to keep doing it, and then that side of it becomes more natural. Um, and then I guess you raised another good point there in terms of uh, kind of the process, right? So... Um, the, the main thing, one of the key things with cold calling and telephone prospecting is not being attached to the, out, the outcome, right? Um, which is obviously, I've got to get a meeting. Uh, and in a traditional sense, like uh, an SDR or whoever is working in a company, they've obviously got X number of meetings that they need to hit on a weekly, monthly, uh, quarterly basis, right? So there's that kind of number above their head and that pressure there that they've got to deliver on it. And obviously, when they're going into these cold calls and they're thinking about that, then yeah. their mindset's all wrong, right? They're thinking about, right, I've got to get the meeting. 
Um, and I don't want to think like that because first and foremost, I know that, like I said earlier, the vast majority of calls that I make are going to end in some form of a no. So like, I can't let those no's affect me. Um, what I've got to do is make sure that I do my job and follow a process well enough so that if I do everything right, then I get the right outcome from that call. Um, so going back to your point about the evaluation process and kind of an analyzing what I do, it's so important because I need to reflect on any mistakes that I make reflect on them, maybe I need to do something different. Um, and yes, the only way you can do that is by uh, listening back to your calls, making notes and kind of putting them into practice. And the next time it comes up in, in a live scenario, then you're better prepared to, to handle it, right? And it's just a constant process that, that you go through to, in essence, master cold calling, right? I think it's exactly that. Um, a, you and the attorney made some really, really interesting uh, points on that I would I would consider it the same to like acting where you know nobody goes on to a Tarantino set and just does a one take and that's it like you know they, they spend hours and hours and hours and hours getting to the point where they're confident enough to go on stage and then he'll do 17 takes and the the outcome along that has to be failure at some point like because you're not going to be no, nobody's expecting perfection Ironically, a lot of business owners expect perfection, and I'm sure a lot of the clients that engage with you will expect a degree of perfection that needs to be recalibrated during the process. Um, but yeah, it's about, um, it's not a confidence thing in my head, although for me, I have the same thing. I don't like this. This is a video format that I'm not really comfortable with. I'm only getting used to that. Um, but if, if the content is worthy, then it doesn't really matter. No. No, it's okay. So there's a there's a process that I use, right? So I'm just going to throw this out there that the, I try and refine things down to as short a stage between start to finish as possible. So including the the intro and the outro, and that's not necessarily a close. The outro you would have um, context, credentials, and qualify, and they can come in any order at all, depending on how the flow of the call goes. Um, is that something that sounds familiar to you and is that what you would use or something? Good man, let's hear it then. Let's go. Mike, uh, it's a good point. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I follow the same process every single time, right? Um, and the, the key thing, at the end of the day, the, the prospecting call is just a conversation, right? But the problem is, is that prospects and people are so conditioned to hate cold calls that you meet a lot of resistance, right? So. I can't just call up any old prospect, introduce who I am and my company, and then we'll have a free-flowing conversation. It just doesn't work yeah. like that. Um, so there's lots of things that happen in the call that kind of aim, I, I, I use to try and counter that. So my process, I think it's six or seven steps. The first one is I use a pattern interrupt. So typically sales calls or cold calls would start by the person, the salesperson calling up, saying, hi, how are you? This is my name, I work for ABC company. That's a typical uh, introduction, right? And whenever you get an unsolicited call, you don't know the number, um, and someone asks you how you are, you know probably that this is gonna be a cold call. Uh, and prospects are conditioned when they hear that, um, they're just like, how, can I, how quickly can I get rid of this person? That's what's going through their mind, right? So I use the pattern interrupt, you've probably seen it on the videos. Yeah. 30 seconds or hang up, right? And that gives me permission to speak. 
once I've got that, I have a 30... to be suffering from um, and relevant to the problem, uh, the product or service that I'm calling about, right? Um, you just, sorry, I'm, sorry, Calum, you just broke up a wee bit there. You were saying you have a, a 30 second pitch? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so uh, after the pattern interrupt, I have a 30 second pitch. And in that 30 second pitch, I list three pain, pain, three pain points that the prospect, I believe, is likely to be suffering from. Uh, and obviously they're re- related to the product or service that I'm calling about. Once I've done that, I, I, I make a statement and I ask them a question, basically denying that those problems exist in their world. Uh, and it gets them to fight back. And if they are relevant in their world, they'll probably tell me. And then that's one and two, three. The fourth bit is um, kind of an emotional grinder, if you want to call it that. It's a series of questions that basically tries to uncover the layers of that specific problem that we're talking about. Um, And it's things like, how long has it been a problem? Have they done anything to try and fix it? Um, What impact is this having on the business? Is it costing them any money? Is this something they even want to fix? Which is a really important question to ask. Um, And then once I've done that, if I've done my job well enough, then I should get to the point where I never ask for the meeting. I'll either ask the, the prospect, what would they like to do next? And I'll get them to tell me, or I'll ask them, is there any reason why they wouldn't want to explore this further on a call? And that's in essence the close. Yeah. And then once I've done that bit, um, we'd agree on the time. And then I'd also agree them what's going to happen on that call. So it's a brief upfront contract. And then the very last thing is I give them one last, last chance to bail. And I ask them the question, there's no reason why after this, when you hang up, you're going to think, what have I done? I've agreed to a sale, meet with a salesperson, right? So always give them that last chance uh, to bail. Um, and that's a very kind of rigid structure up to the call. Obviously, it doesn't go as smoothly as that. Uh, and as I said, you meet a lot of resistance from uh, prospects. So it's kind of how can you utilize that conversation to, to get it back into the uh, structure that uh, I referenced there. And you're, you're pitching in at sea level, primary or decision maker level, yeah, for obvious reasons, because it's the path of, it's the hardest path, but it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, I, if I can, I'll always go to the CEO or MD first. Uh, and the main reason being, a couple of reasons. The first one is who cares about the business the most? It's gonna be those guys, right? Uh, and if, if I can get buy-in from the CEO or MD, but they're not the person that actually manages the decision, they'll probably put me in touch with the, the person that uh, does. Um, and they're going to be more likely to interact with me if the CEO is telling them that, look, we need to look at this. Uh, and then I can get that call with, um, with the right person, as opposed to going to the decision maker, the actual decision maker, um, and then perhaps the CEO or MD manages it. I'm never going to get shunted up. The, That's the right. Yeah. I'm only going to get shunted down. So that would be kind of how I approach it. Obviously, when you've got big blue chip companies like Microsoft, Coca-Cola, I'm not going to be able to get through to the CEO very easily, right? So you might be a bit more strategic in terms of the, the type of uh, decision maker that you're going after. Um, but yeah, as a rule of thumb, I'd always start at the top. So the, the, I, the, a quick confession here, I had checked out your process on, on your LinkedIn and I looked at it and I was kind of smiling of the pattern interrupt because for years 
I would have been coaching and training guys to, you know, good afternoon, name, and apply the same logic to every call. And in fact, all I was doing was changing the company name. I'm calling from Company X, and I'm now calling from Company Y. One of your videos, you you um, introduced a call pretty much immediately by saying, I've got to be honest with you, this is a cold call. I, I think that works a lot more often than it's given credit for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it doesn't work on everyone, right? No. Uh, I'll give you an example. I This is when I was prospecting for my own business. Um, I don't know why, I just found, I was targeting um, kind of small to medium-sized companies, and a lot of them were agencies, so marketing, digital, PR, uh, and then I dipped my toe into uh, these kind of like sports marketing consultants or sports management consultants. There was a real mixture. Um, and... I had about 20 companies and I called most of them and I think like two or three out of 20 actually gave me 30 seconds. The rest of them, I was very hostile. Like, how did you get my number? Yeah. Why? Uh, and I couldn't work it out because they were all CEOs. And then I went and done some more research and I found out that they've all got uh, backgrounds in um, law. Um, and I guess that's kind of the sports tie up. They deal with like these uh, mega contracts and deals and uh, of course, yeah, yeah, commercial side of things. And their background, they were all lawyers, and they just they're different personality types. And that specific pattern interrupt just it just got under their skin, so it didn't really work very well. Um, but for the most part, uh, it worked really well on CEOs because uh, their personality type is um, if you think about disc profiles, they're high in the dominance. That's right. That's right. Uh, right so CEOs are they're highly driven people the way they communicate they're quite uh, direct that's right yeah yeah uh, they're not rude but they're also busy people right so I need to respect that uh, and they also make a lot of decisions so they're used to make a decision so taking that all into consideration if I call them up I know if I go through the, the whole spiel, this is Callum, I'm calling from ABC Company, how are you today? I know that's going to piss them right off. So I don't do it. Just go straight in. I say, look, I'll be up front. This is a cold call. So you can either hang up now or let me have 30 seconds and then decide. And what happens when they hear that is because I sound and I behave like them, they respond to that. They're like, I like this. This, this guy, this is how I behave. Uh, and it also forces them to make a decision. Uh, so it gives them the illusion that they're in control, but really I've just given them two options. You can hang up or you can give me 30 seconds. Yeah. And when they hear that, a lot of people, even the ones that are hostile to it, they'll still say, what's the call about? They might not give me 30 seconds, but they'll still say, well, what's the call about? And then we can have a conversation uh, and perhaps it goes further. But um, yeah, I think I, I posted something I think it was last week or two weeks ago, maybe, and I, sh I showed some statistics on kind of how effective it was. Um, and you, it's around 85, 95% when it works. Yeah. And the other 5, 10, 15, they'll just instantly hang up. No, I, I, that whole thing about asking somebody how they are is like, you know, you hardly, you don't even really say that to your friends, you know? No. So it's like a, a kind of a pseudo courteous, a gentlemanly behavior set that's pointless, you know. But they that that um, interrupt thing is is um, it got my attention all right. Now, you, I would 
sort of uh, reveal the truth. I use a few different models when I'm coaching, but the stuff that you do, you break it down so well, which is again where you got my attention. And I just thought you'd, that in a, a society where, um, as you said, it's like kind of very unfashionable to be making telephone calls, you make it seem like it's a very plausible outlet for business development. Like you just, you just make it really seem really logical that people should pursue it, you know, and they should t- train their teams better or they should employ somebody like you who's got a, a, a real investment in their success. How, how do people get in touch with you? How, how, do, how do you engage with your clients? Uh, how do I find new clients? Well, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you end up actually working together so that they entrust you to make calls on their behalf? Well, when I first started out, everything, all of the, the meetings that I set and the clients that I won was from telephone prospecting so it was that that in itself was an audition or an interview yeah like so to speak um and then obviously if i secured the meeting with them then going into the the meeting they already know that i can do the job because i've just done it on them um and that's the main thing and then i guess like from the linkedin side of things i get quite a lot of inbound now which is great uh, and from basically the videos that i've started um putting up so Obviously, like they see the videos and they see, right, this is someone that perhaps might be good at what they do. Um, and there's always that kind of perception coming into the sales meeting, right? So once I get them into the sales meeting, it's just a case of figuring out, am I someone that's right for them? Does it make sense to hire me? Um, and if it does, what would we need to do to make it a success? And that's basically it, really. So, and then in terms of the transition from Callum working for himself to Callum working for somebody else, how much information, what kind of onboarding process is it so that you're actually then able to go and make calls on their behalf? Yeah, not much. I basically need to understand what problems that they fix, how they manifest themselves in the prospects world, and what are the alternatives to using the company that I'm um, working for. Once I understand all of those three things, then I can structure the call uh, and the questions and my 30 second pitch around that. Then it's just a case of getting on the phone as soon as possible, understanding what what are the kind of blind spots going into the call that maybe I wasn't aware of. And then it's not until you kind of have those conversations that you can kind of figure things out um, and then kind of perfect or, um, yeah, just make, make the questions and the 30 second pitch better, right? It's just a constant learning process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think as I said to you before we went on, um, the more the more clients that I've worked with and the different kind of products and services that I've started having conversations with, you can start to see the, the similarities um, and kind of how you'd shape the same questions or, or the types of questions um, specific to what, what the conversation's about. So yeah, the more I've done it, the easier it's get the easier it gets to, to figure all of that out. But it's not long, like half a day, if that. Yeah, I, I know we're we're coming close to time here. What what sort of time is it now? I'm just are we okay for a bit? Are we okay? Um, yeah. So one of, one of the things that comes across in your content, and one of the things that comes across talking to you here is that you have a really kind of um, effervescent disposition. Like you seem to be in, in in the right frame of mind to do the work. Okay, 
And I think for some people, that's kind of the crux of it, is that you've got these oscillations throughout the day or throughout the week where you're in a great mood, bad mood, too much Red Bull, too much coffee, and uh, that takes its toll. How do, how do you keep a consistency, or do you find it easy to be constant across your work so that you're able to deliver good performance or at a level all the time? It's not easy, no. I think, I think the, the, the kind of point that you made there is the um, our motivation changes, right? Yeah. So some days we're fired up for it, some days we're not. But the key thing with it, and I, I had to learn this, it didn't come to me straight away when I set up, when I went alone. I had to really kind of hone this in and learn this is um, building good habits um, and structure. So obviously when I'm making my calls, I try and make them at the same time every single day. So be one of the first things that I do in the morning, I'll get out of the way. Uh, and then I'll also do um, a late afternoon block as well. Those, those are the two main ones that I do. Um, and I don't, I'm not perfect at it, but if I, for whatever reason, if I'm not cold calling at that time, perhaps like I've done everything that I need to do, then I'll still practice at the same time. So let's say, let's say Friday is a good example. Friday morning, if um, if I've done everything that I need to do for that week and I don't need to make any more calls, then I'll still use that same time to practice, so that my body's kind of in tune that right this time of day every single week I'm making cold calls even if I'm not actually doing them. Um, and I had to do that fairly early on. Now I would have to make the calls right, and obviously I have the, the not so much the pressure, but like I'm in agreement with my clients that I deliver a certain amount of meetings, so there's always that that kind of that motivation there anyway, right? Um, and then I guess the other thing to, to to throw in there is the preparation, right? Like everything kind of starts the day before. Um, I know what calls I'm going to do the next day. I've already got my list sorted out, um, and any kind of Anything that I may have learned the, the day before, I would have written down, I would have reviewed it, and then before I make the calls on the next day, I would have read the, the notes that I made from yesterday, and maybe there's something that right, I need to, to, to focus on that today and try and improve that today. Um, and I just try and keep that structure um, every single day, and it's really boring, but it's really important because once you get it, when you miss that time slot and you're not actually cold calling, it feels, starts to feel alien, right? Um, and yeah, by doing it, it just really, really helps. It just, my body's just tuned into doing it now every single day, so it's not a problem. So this thing about preparation and practice um, is really, uh, is really something that I would be trying to sort of drill home and the importance of practice and how little time in business we devote to practice. We always, and I certainly have all this, um, sports uh, high performance books and, and would get guys on the podcast who are sports psychologists talking about performance improvement and the difference between a business person, a salesperson and an athlete is recovery time, nutrition and training. We're working five days a week, seven or eight hours a day and you know the only time you get forced into practice typically is when things are going badly you know and that's called a training program and then you feel like a dunce in the corner and you're learning, you're trying to relearn old habits that were badly taught in the first place or, or whatever, you dedicate quite a lot of time to practice then? Uh, less and less now, but yeah, before. Um, obviously, I, I, I'm on the phone every single day, so 
a lot of that is kind of the practice. Um, but I still, I, I do like a, a warm up before I do my calls, and it's that's more mainly designed to get myself in the right frame of mind as opposed to practicing kind of what I say because. The, the main structure of it, like I, I've said it so many times now, just it's, it's more about how can I get myself back into the kind of rhythm of it. Um, so I, I do that before I make the calls. Uh, and I, I think it's so important because of, of, like, especially if you're not really feeling up for it, then that can come across in your tone. Um, and as you know, tone's so important when you're, you're talking to people on the phone because they'll pick up on it. Um, and it will have an adverse effect on the things that you're trying to say, right? So that's really important, um, is the, the kind of tone and being in the right mindset. But because I've done it so much now, like I, every time I put my headset on, it's a trigger for my brain. It knows kind of the, the, the frame of mind that I need to be in. So I also know that if there are moments where I'm not really feeling up for it, as long as I've got everything prepared and all I've got to do is put the headset on and press the yeah. call button, then the, the barrier to kind of resistance is so small, then I, I know that I'll do it. Um, but as I said, I had to get there. At the beginning, it wasn't that easy, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, now I've been doing it for six months or whatever, like it's, it's fine. But yeah, getting there is tough. I'd, I'd, um, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you like your music and I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan so it's going to be a hit or miss question for you um, Rogan did a, a podcast with the lead singer of Van Halen Dave Lee Roth and Dave Lee Roth honestly you want to watch him man it's, it's like he's quite a, a, an intense guy but his depth and breadth of his knowledge knows no bounds like he spent a lot of time in Japan he's very he's, he's really quite a, a idiosyncratic sort of a fella but he has um um, he talks about the work that they put in for, for Van Halen and he said like when we were on stage and you know one of the speakers blows or one of the lights blows or somebody starts coughing he just remembers back to that muscle memory from all the rehearsing they did and they just they just crush it you know and he says it's all about the it's all about the practice it's just all about the practice you know and anybody in sport or anybody who wants to improve their performance in sales will tell you that they spend a lot of time recording and listening and even in the mirror and whatever else it is, you know, and getting into those rituals where you feel comfortable regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I haven't, I've seen some Joe Rogan, I haven't seen that one in particular, but I think the, the main point that I, you kind of, I took from that was um, around practice. Now, when I practice, it's usually just me and my myself, I record myself and I'll practice and if there's specific things that I need to work on or perhaps scenarios that came up and I didn't handle it very well, what I want to do is just replicate them so the next time it happens, there's that muscle memory and I'll be able to reel off those yeah. questions or, or handle those objections. But at the beginning, for anyone that's trying to get better at cold calling or perhaps hasn't done it before, your real practice is when you're actually talking to prospects, right? Uh, and you might not see it as practice because you're trying to get a meeting or whatever, but um, for me to even get competent at it, it took me months, months to get really competent at it. Um, and that was practice talking to, to prospects, but also, like I said, there's so much, not so much, but you often get a lot of hostile people um, on the calls, right? They hate cold calls. So 
it's that practice in terms of how you cope with that, how you manage those situations um, with a calm head so that you're not kind of fighting fire and pushing back when someone's perhaps nasty or, or whatever. It's how you handle those situations. Yeah. Um, and it's often that those are the types of people that you'll probably very rarely get a meeting with. You can sometimes if you can kind of get them to, to come around a little bit. Um, but those are the best ones to practice on because it's kind of like if, if you were to climb Mount Everest and then go and climb Snowdonia, like Snowdonia would be a walk in the park, right? So yeah, yeah. you manage the, the hard part first, get those uncomfortable conversations out of the way, then that's the real practice The when you get the, the prospects that you can have better conversations with, it seems like a breeze, right? And, and you can you can handle them so much better. I would agree with that completely. I think that it's a t it's not an easy it's not for it's not for everybody. First of all, you know, I think the people who um, begin the journey of working in sales and they begin in telephone, um, they find out very quickly sometimes that it's just not for them. But it takes a little bit of perseverance, and you find that actually I can't cope with it. But it isn't for everybody. There's definitely isn't for everybody. You know. I mean, I always say the hardest part about telephone prospecting is getting good at it. That's the hardest part. Once you get good at it, the anxiety, the nerves, the fear, they all disappear, right? So um, it, it gets a lot easier the more that you do it. And the easier it gets, the more success you have, the less you have to do with it. Uh, and that's just the way of the world, right? But getting through that first bit, is can be a real struggle and a lot of people will quit i wanted to quit i hate i hated cold calling when i first started out um and all those emotions fear anxiety um i can't remember the other one i said um i had all of them and i had to push through that barrier and, and, and get through it and get better at it and over time i did and then yeah the way that you see me converse with prospects on my by um, videos, like it took months, months to get there. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. But the other thing that you kind of raised there, a couple of things, but the first one is the, the problem with uh, the role of the SDR is that it's primarily, whenever you see a job um, advert for that SDR, SDR role, they're always looking for graduates and it's low pay. Right, so there's a stigma around this job that it's not very desirable, entry-level job, doesn't pay very well. Um, so already people look down on it, right? And obviously once you do the job and you figure out um, that, like you said, it's not for everyone or perhaps uh, it's not the most enjoyable job, then it creates quite a negative stigma around it. And then obviously you have all of these SDRs that are in a race to get the AE position, right? and they want to get out of this job uh, really quickly. Uh, but the problem with that, in, and part of the reason why I do what I do is that prospecting is the hardest part of the sales process, right? Okay. So why we don't have our best people doing prospecting, why we're not paying uh, bigger salaries for people to do that, um, and like offering the training and getting people really good at it and promoting it mm -hmm. that way, um, is a huge mistake that companies make, right? And like I said, that was something that I saw because if if I could get good at it, position myself in the market as someone, as a freelance sales development rep to hire, um, 
there's not many people like are going against the grain, right? So there's going to be a gap there. Uh, and yeah, it hasn't been hard to get kind. So that was kind of obvious, um, like I said, when I first went out on my own. And I guess, again, part of the reason that I did that was like, this is the hardest part. So if I can get really good at it, people will pay me a lot of money to do it for them. And that was really the motivation behind it. And so if you're taking that a bit further, would you look at that as a difference between practice and deliberate practice, where practice is just do more numbers, make more calls, and deliberate practice is feel the pain, learn from the pain, a, you know, pivot, go back, refresh, go again, do it from a different angle, try something else, and then all of a sudden what you have instead of just scripted a 50 calls a day, what you have is basically a position where you can deal with anything that comes at you and success comes quicker that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I guess there's a couple of points on that. The first one is obviously the, the better that you the better you get a cold calling, then the less you have to do of it, right? So there's that kind of deliberate practice that you mentioned there. Um, but in terms of, I guess one of the key things that maybe gets, I don't know the right word to use, but like, you, you'll hear a lot of people talking about scripts, right? Uh, and traditionally, they probably come from like the, the cold uh, telesales um, centers where they've got people on really low base salary, just making loads of dials, trying to sell PPI or get you to switch your energy company. Um, and these guys use scripts, right? And they never deviate from the script, no matter what question you ask, right? Whereas I focus on structure. So I mentioned kind of the, the structure that um, my calls take place. Um, but they'll always veer away from that based on what the, the prospect says to me, right? They, they might, sometimes they might want to jump straight into kind of how does this work? What does this cost? All these types of things early on before I've even established that they've got uh, a problem that I can fix, right? So. Um, it's really about kind of understanding what are all of the possible things that a prospect could say to me at any stage within the, the call when there's not many what, if I get them and at what stage how am I going to deal with that and how am I going to respond to that so before I made my first cold call I, I made that structure as much as I could and then it was a case of just practicing getting on the calls, figuring out what actually, um, how these calls actually pan out, and then there'll always be gaps there, right? So it's just a case of, right, I, I didn't anticipate that happening. And I'd make a note, scribble that down, and then that kind of structure just grew and grew and grew. Um, and then it was just repetition. Yeah. yeah. Like just doing it over and over again. And then, as I said, like, one of the great things about doing what I do now is I get to work with varied clients, right? So you're talking about one product one day and then the next, uh, and the questions are different, and the structure's different, the conversations are different. Um, so that really helps me get better because I start learning from all these other, other calls that I'm making and then it all comes together, right? Um, and yeah, it just gets easier. I had um, threatened to ask you a question, um, and you said at the time you didn't know whether you could answer it or not. So this is a this is a moment of truth, right? So if you had one sentence to to, to use that would differentiate you from your competition, what would that be? 
Yeah, I still don't know how to answer it, and I'll answer it by saying this: I, I, when I set out, I never, I never paid attention to the competition, or, or I never did any market research to figure out who's out there and um, where my competition is. I knew that because of uh, the sales trainer that I worked with and, and his style and his approach, I knew that there were very few people out there doing what I do. Um, and those that are doing it probably work, a lot of them I knew work for companies. So I wasn't aware of any, um, any like direct competition that was very active on LinkedIn. I've seen some people um, that are freelance kind of um, SDRs or whatever you want to call it, but I haven't seen a lot. I know there are a few companies that do it but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're my direct competition, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I never did any market research, so I don't really know too much about what they do, how they approach it. I was just like, I'll just focus on me. Like we discussed, there's not many people doing cold calling as it is. Um, and um, there's not many people out there that do the freelance side of it. So, the other side of it is that I can only work with three to four clients at any one time, right? Yeah. So I was dead certain that there was going to be three or four clients out there that needed what I what I provided, right? So um, that was always my mindset. So I, I literally, I got no idea how to say, right, in one sentence, uh, this is what, or how I differentiate myself from others. I just don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not apologizing for the question, but I think, you know, you've answered it. You've, you've given, I think you've given a really, really comprehensive um, front to back in 35, 40 minutes there, man. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to close it now. I'm going to ask if you would be willing to get back on again at another time in the future when you have a bit more time to maybe go into some things in a bit more depth. It's been really refreshing talking to you, Cal. It's good to see that... Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave notes below on the YouTube and also on the podcast to for people to to catch up with you. But if you want to tell them where is the best place to find you, where where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn is obviously the number one place that I hang out. So you can search for Callum Beecroft or the Phone Jacker, and I should come up. Um, I also have a website, thephonejacker.co.uk, so you can go there to to find out more information about um, how I might be able to help you. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, but I don't really use it that much. Um, I need to get better at it. It's something for me to do. Um, but yeah, those are the two two main ones. Also, I've got an email address, Callum at thephonejacker.co.uk. So if you want to get in touch that way, um, that's probably the best best uh, way to get hold of me. But yeah, those are the three main ones. All right, man. Really appreciate you you um, coming on and your tolerance and patience with emails coming back and forward. So. No, I'm enjoying that. Like I said, thanks for thanks for inviting me along to my first uh, podcast. So glad to get that one under the belt. And uh, yeah, more than happy to come on and chat again as well. So good man. Okay, appreciate it.